Amen. Yeah. Well, amen. Uh, it's, uh, it's good, isn't it, when, uh, when Pat goes off on one? Um, I said, it's great if you're a visitor and you go to a church, they say, go and speak to everybody. And you're thinking, oh, great, thanks. Yeah, good. I was hoping just to be anonymous this morning. But um, so, uh, yeah, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you all with us. Um, uh, are you going to, is that, that going? Okay? Good, there we are. Um, so I want to uh, speak this morning on, on uh, I've decided uh, to do a little four-part series um, that I really feel God has put on my heart, and so this morning is going to be the first one of those, and, uh, and then I'll do them over the, the next few weeks. Uh, but those of us who were here last week um, will uh, remember that Chris uh, spoke about higher-level living. Right? Not basement living, but higher level living. And you know sometimes when, you, uh, when someone says something, uh, it kind of gets your brain going. Uh, and then you kind of start thinking about, well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to have higher level living? What is, what is that? Um, it's one of those, Christians are very good, by the way. Uh, Connor, Caitlin, those of you that haven't been around that long. Christians are experts at coming up with phrases that sound really spiritual, but don't mean a great deal, or no one really knows what they mean, right? Yeah? Um, and... And so um, uh, what I want to do over these next few weeks is look at, right, what does it mean to enter higher level living, right? What does that actually mean spiritually? uh, How does that that work? Um, Because I've been thinking about this phrase, reigning with Christ, reigning with Christ. What does it mean to reign with Christ? Because really that's what higher level living is. If you're using the Bible term, uh, higher level living isn't a, a kind of translation you'd find in the Bible, but there is a phrase that the Bible uses quite frequently which talks about reigning with Christ, um, which I think is about this kind of, uh, as we'll see, it's like the peak of Christian living to get to the point where we are reigning with Christ. And so that's ultimately where we're going to get to. But what I want us to do uh, over these next few weeks uh, is to, uh, as it were, try and I believe what God wants us to do is to take the uh, look at the big picture, to look at the big picture. And hopefully I'm going to say some things to you which will be revelatory to you this morning, as in you'll think, wow, that's interesting, as opposed to, really, this is boring, I've heard all this many times before, right? Um, but uh, when, a few years ago, we went uh, to Cambodia uh, and uh, we were fortunate enough, Helen's parents uh, lived, uh, they had two houses, that sounds less grand than it actually is, um, they didn't own either of them and one of them was a long, long way away in a village and so you could only get there by like a day and a half's travel by car, uh, so you had to kind of have a house out there if you and they'd go and stay there for a, a couple of weeks to work in this village and then they'd come back to their house in the town. But um, the, we went and we had our kids with us uh, and the thought of going across a road which uh, gets washed away uh, by uh, rains and there's, you know, by road across bumpy roads with three small children was not a, uh, something we particularly wanted to do. Uh, so there was a, uh, there's a mission organisation called MAF. Anyone know MAF? All right, I can I just say coolest missionary agency ever, right? Okay, coolest missionary. I'm a missionary. What I do is I fly planes, right? So you can be a pilot who flies planes. To be fair, they fly in some fairly uh, remote places and they fly missionaries into remote places. They also fly people out of uh, difficult places when Sarah's uh, those of you who know Sarah, Helen's sister, when she was really ill, MAF were really probably saved her life because had they not been where they were, they wouldn't have been able to get her to the hospital on time. Um, but we went on an MAF plane 
And I don't know, like, probably a lot of us have flown on big planes. Pat's about to go off to Vegas. Can I just say, Pat's going to Vegas this week, right? All right. Okay, Texas. Oh, sorry. It was Vegas last time, right? Okay. And he's going with his company. And as I understand it, his company have upgraded him. No, no, the, the airline have upgraded him to first class, right? Okay, first class travel. We are all super envious, yeah? Right? Because let's be honest, he's not going to be looking out the window, is he, when you go on a plane, right, on first class? Unless in first class they have like big windows, right? The poor rest of us who are just crammed in like sardines, like looking out the window. But if you go on a big plane, you get a like tiny little window, don't you? And you can kind of just about see. But when you go in a small plane, in like a kind of, it was like a six seater plane or something like that, seven seater plane, you really get, you can really see, you know? Like I was sat in the front, I got to fly it for a little bit, I just went up and down. That makes it sound more exciting than it was. But when you go up, right? and you can really see the world changes, doesn't it? If you're on a plane and you see things from a high-level perspective, your view is totally different, right? You can be walking through the jungle and all you see is tree after tree after tree. But if you go up in the air and you get a bird's-eye view of what's going on, it completely changes your perspective. You can see so far and you suddenly start to see the big picture of landscapes, don't you? Um, and, and this morning, what I want us to do or over these next few weeks, I want us to kind of almost fly up, as it were, right? And to go up and look at the big picture of things. Because obviously we talk every week often about things that are happening in our day-to-day lives and, and it's really important. But I think there's something to be gained by seeing God's master plan by seeing the big picture of how redemption and all of these things fit together so that we can really, I think, enter into something new of God. And I believe that God wants us to bring us into something new. So we are going to look over the next few weeks really entirely out of Ephesians chapter 1 and the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2. But this morning I want us to just look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 6. And it says this, it said, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of God of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So what we're going to see is that Paul in these chapters kind of explains the whole Ephesians. If you, you know, people often say Romans is the best place to understand the gospel. Actually, the first few chapters of Ephesians are actually the the shortest summary, I suppose, of the gospel in its depth. and the first point that I want us to make, I, I want us to understand, okay, if we're going to understand God's master plan, is to understand God's starting point. Where does God start from, okay? Where do His purposes really begin, right? And so I, I've um, I've done some diagrams um, using my iPad, uh, an iPad pen. Shout out to Miriam there, she over there, iPad pencil. All right, um, <clears throat> because. We can think that God starts in different places. So many people will start with an assumption that really the primary thing that God was interested in was the fall. We're going to start point D here, right? Point D, the point when, when it really goes bad, right? Adam makes a mistake and that's the point that God's starting point is really all about redemption, right? 
Uh, it's all about basically God having to save his people, right? God having to pick us up out of the mess that we were in. Um, but if you think more deeply about that, you think, well, why, why did God save us? What was the point? If redemption is our starting point, it doesn't necessarily answer some of the bigger questions. So maybe you take it back a step and you say, ah, well, what it is is point C. That's the point where Adam, in the beginning, was told you are to multiply and fill the earth. The point that God wanted to do was to create an amazing kingdom where man would rule. Maybe that's your starting point, right? Um, but again, really, what that does is that makes man the centre, not God. It makes man the centre point. So you think, well, that doesn't seem to work either. So let's take it back a step further. Maybe uh, it's, it's point B, which is creation, right? With uh, his creation, maybe God was just a creative God who wanted to create a world, and out of that would come a kingdom uh, that man could rule and reign. But it still doesn't answer the question, why? Why does God want to create the world? Why did God want to make us? Why did God want us to reign? Why did God need to save us? It doesn't ask the fundamental question. So it brings us back to this starting point. And this is key. This is so key. And I've seen this so clearly that I really think we need to get hold of this. Because when we really understand it, it transforms the way we see everything about God. And it's this. That God is first and foremost, above everything else, a father. He's a father. He's a father whose heart, is mo- that's what motivates everything he does. It starts from his father heart. Right? His ultimate intention is to bring us into his family. Right? And this is so important. And so what I want us to do... Um, we'll come back to some of these diagrams, is we're going to look at this passage. Because you might think to yourself, well, how, Tim, are you kind of, you know, are you just making this up? But Paul gets it, right? And that's, we're taking this from Ephesians chapter 1. So uh, we'll come on to this uh, in a second. Um, But here's this passage. Blessed be the God our Father. So the first thing we see is that when Paul is talking in this passage, the first thing he says is, God is Father. Now, up until this point, in, in, uh, sorry, up until Jesus arrived, there was no mention of God as Father in the Old Testament. He's never called Father in the Old Testament. But once Jesus comes along, it's like the final bit of revelation. God is not just a God who creates. God is not just a God who makes a people. God is not just a God who is trying to save his people who have made a mistake. God is ultimately, and this is what Jesus comes to reveal, he comes to say, I have come to show you the Father. I've come to show you him. And that's why when, G- when we talked uh, uh, the prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about prayer and we talked about the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, how does Jesus instruct his disciples to pray? What are the first words that he instructs them to pray are our Father. It's fatherhood, right? That's where it starts and that's what Paul says. So the first thing that we see is who? It's a father. So what then? What is, he, uh, tr- what is the father trying to do? The Father chooses us as sons. Right? That's the what God is trying to do. God is trying, or not God is trying, God will make himself a vast family of sons. It said he's chosen us, you and I, to be sons in his family. Right? This is, you'll start to get this as we go through. Right? Okay? Um, and, and God is not just seeking to save you from your mess. That's great. It's amazing, isn't it? God wants to save us from our mess. But God wants to do so much more than that, doesn't he, Beverly? Amen. He wants to make us sons and daughters of him. 
And once we start to grasp this and get hold of it and we realise this, it will begin to change the way that we see everything. So how does he do it? How, and we see in this passage, how does he, the Father, make sons? How does he do it? In him. All right, oh, that did the wrong one in there. Yeah? Right, number three, in him. How? He does it in him. And if we, as we're going to read through this passage, as we go in the next week and the week after, again and again and again, Paul says it's in him. It's Jesus. It's through Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes it possible for you and I to be sons and sons of God. All right, so it's always through Jesus. And when did he do it? Number four, when did he do it? So when did he decide that he wanted a family? Did he do it after the redemption? No. He did it, it says here, before the foundation of the world. You know, we will, if you just stop for a second and think about this, right, Lauren, right, before there were dinosaurs, right, before there were anything, God had already decided that you would be. And God had already chosen you. Isn't that amazing? God had already known your name. There's a staggering nature that God is a father who wants a, a, a family. That's his, his purpose, is to create a family of sons and daughters. And he decided that before he did anything. Before anything else happened, he decided, I want a family. So why did he do it? Why did he want a family? And we see five, right? And this is the key. And we start to, un, start to unpack these things. He did it right, to himself. It's all about God, right? He, did, he didn't do it just for our benefit. He did it for his own glory, for his own pleasure. His heart was to share his glory and to share his, his pleasure with his people. But ultimately, it comes around to us. And as we're going to see through this series, much of what is talked about in the modern era is, is talked about how it relates to us. I am the centre, I am the centre. But when we look at this passage, Paul is clearly saying, man is not the central point. God's heart of fatherhood is the big picture. That's what's really, God is ultimately bringing everything back around to himself. Okay? And so ultimately, where, the last point, you see, where will we ultimately be? So he's going to, God the Father... Right, has, has chosen us to call and make us sons through Jesus before the foundation of the world to bring us to himself where ultimately where we will spend the rest of eternity standing before him. That's his purpose. When we go, uh, I'm going to have to click all the way back, right? This is the ultimate goal that God is working towards. God the Father wants a family of sons and daughters who he has chosen before the foundation of the world to be through Jesus Christ before uh, to be with him, to stand with him together, to enjoy his family. That is God's ultimate purpose. That's God's ultimate heart. It's the Father heart of God constantly beating and saying, I want to bring you into relationship with me. You know, we had uh, 11 years ago, Nathan uh, in April will be 11, so near, yeah, more or less 11 years ago, we had our first child, uh, Nathan. And uh, he was a lovely little boy, although he did cry a lot, didn't he, when he was first born. Um, I remember, I have vivid memories of being on holiday and just being up to the small, sitting up, having no idea what to do with a small child and uh, just sitting with him, hoping he was going to fall asleep and he didn't. Helen had disappeared and was sleeping somewhere else. But you know, when we had our first son, you know, I, I, do you know what was my honest feeling? I wanted more. I felt like I, had, I wanted to have more sons. 
Right? I want him more children. I'd love to give him my heart. And then we had Reuben, and I thought to myself, oh, do you know what? I love having children. I want to have more children. Then we had Aaron, and we thought, never again. <laughs> you see, as a, as a father, as a parent, you, you, there's something in you that wants to have children. Yeah, Mike, you've got like a thousand, right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, hey? Hundreds, yeah, yeah. But the truth is you kept going because there's something in your heart, isn't there, that says, I want children. There's something, and, and, you know, we each have our own earthly limits, right? Mine was three, right? No more, right? Okay, I'm done. But God has got this huge heart that says, I want more and more and more. He doesn't need to stop at three or five or like 12, you know, whatever. No, he hasn't, Mike hasn't got that many. Um, but before the foundation of the world, this is, this is uh, really important, Right? Before, if we are to understand uh, the, uh, God's master plan, we need to realise before anything was ever created, God was. But this is why it's so important to understand God the Father. Because God wasn't just some like, big mystical being. God was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they were together forever. And in this unity... And God, it says, had such delight in his son, right? such delight in his son Jesus, that his desire was to create more Jesuses. To have, and that's why when we talk about we need the life of Jesus in us, what Jesus wants to do is create himself in us. It's ultimately God is saying, I want to replicate Jesus because I've enjoyed so much this relationship with Jesus through the ages that I want to create more and more, that I can share more and more and I can create this family of Jesuses where Jesus is the oldest brother, it says somewhere in the scriptures. Jesus is the head of that family, the head of the body and, he, and, and it's just... When you start to get this, you, you start to, I don't know, there's something in you that just stirs something up in me. I don't know about you, but it stirs something up in me. And so the Father plans for the Son to have the preeminence in everything. He plans for Jesus to, have, to be glorified. That's the Father's heart, is for Jesus to be glorified. And what's Jesus' heart? to fulfil the plans of the Father. And what's the Spirit's heart? The Spirit's heart is to fulfil the actions necessary to make that possible, to fulfil the love uh, that the Father has and to fulfil the, the mission that the Son has. And so we see this selfless, interdependent communion, the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And that is what the Lord, ultimately, when we look at this master plan, God is wanting to create many sons to participate in the eternal trinity, and everyone thinks, what? Well, see, we've lost him now. He's disappeared. But hopefully you haven't lost me. Because this is so important. You, right, Mike talked about the fish, right? Great picture, right? I'm not a fisherman at all, right? But I have watched with Pat, right, okay, in our holiday sessions, right, when we go around holiday together, Pat, this time on holiday, made us watch endless programmes. Has anyone seen The Deadliest Catch? Right? It's one of those kind of TV shows that appears, right? And we watched all kinds of stupid ones about guys that go like spear fishing. But we watched this other one, didn't we, about guys that trawl in tuna. And literally, they are just trawling in every day, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fish. And the amount of fish, and there's like thousands of, you know, probably million boats every day doing the same. The, the number of fish in the ocean must be incredible. Must be incredible. But what's amazing to think is that you are not some random accident, Samson. 
Mark, you are not some mistake. You are not some afterthought. You were predestined before the foundation of the world to enter. You might not think yourself important. You might not think yourself small, but God wants you to come and join with him in the Holy Spirit and the Son and be part of that family. Doesn't that stir you? You think, I'm not pointless. I'm not, a, I'm not an accident. God chose me before the foundation of the world to be part of something so big and so special. And as we're going to see, right, this, this view, this big picture view is so important. Because you might be asking the question this morning. Well, well before we get to that, that, that point, um, I don't know about you, but I find myself often living life in the dirt. In the dirt of life, you know, like the grind of life. You know, and you're not often able to see the bigger picture because really you're just dealing with, uh, you know, this morning was kids not wanting to shower, one child screaming, the, the Asda man came this morning, uh, delivered the shopping, I was trying to prepare my sermon, I had my headphones on, Aaron is naked upstairs screaming uh, out for, for clothes whilst the Asda man is trying to come and deliver the Asda shop, right? That's the, that's the day dirt of life, isn't it, right? And often we can make mistakes and we can be messy and our lives are broken and stuff is, is difficult and we just feel like failures. And as Chris said last time, last week, and I think it was a great point, often the problem isn't that Christians think too much of themselves. It's actually Christians don't think enough of themselves because of what God has made them to be. Uh, and, and it's so true. And, you know, we can spend so much time focusing on all God needs to do for me and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm a mess and I'm broken but we miss the big picture. I want you to imagine this morning, right, that, well, not, yeah, imagine that I was going to take Nathan to Thorpe Park. Right, let's imagine Aaron, because this is more likely of Aaron, this story. Right, so I decide I'm going to plan a trip to Thorpe Park. Anyone who doesn't know Thorpe Park? Theme park. Awesome theme park, right? Okay, anyone that's been to Thorpe Park loves it, right? Hopefully, apart from Gemma, she hates rides. <clears throat> she won't go on anything. She just walks around carrying the stuff while the kids go on things. But you imagine I've planned a trip to thought, but whilst in the morning you've got to get the lunch ready. Yeah, and you've got to get the bags ready. And so you send Nathan out to play in the garden, but it's been raining. And anyone that's got boys knows that if you send out boys into a garden for any period of time whatsoever, like two seconds, right, they literally come back, they'll fall over and they're covered in mud and they've got mud all over their hands uh, and they've got mud all over their knees. We, we, they, our garden at the moment, by the way, is a mud patch. And we have to, like, we, like we'll, if we're not careful, we like we say, wash your hands, because they always forget. And suddenly you look at their hands midway through dinner, and they're, like, black. And you're like, <gasps> you know. Um, but they can't, and imagine Nathan has gone out, he's fallen over, he's covered in dirt, his clothes are all muddy, right? And I'm the father, right? My ultimate purpose is to take him to Thorpe Park. But before I can take him to Thorpe Park, he ne I need to clean him up. So I bring him indoors, and I, I wash him up, and I clean him down, and I change his clothes, and he's clean and he's enjoying the fact that he's clean and he's, he's, uh, you know, he's been washed. And he, he sees a toy, he sees his favourite toy next to him and so he picks up his toy and he begins to play with his toy. And he's enjoying being clean and he's enjoying being, uh, wearing a new clean set of clothes and he's enjoying playing with his toy that I've given him at some point. But then he says to me, Dad, and I say, come on, it's time to go. He says, oh, Dad, I don't want to go, I want to stay here and I want to just play and enjoy with my toy. And you see, what has happened is that he has missed the big picture. He's missed the big picture. Now, he's enjoyed the benefits of being washed and being clean, 
But ultimately, that's not my final purpose for him. That's not my ultimate intention. I want to take him to the thought. You know, thought Park's way better than the little toy he's got. And the fact that I've cleaned him up, and, and that, that was just all just part of that process. And, you know, this is so important when we think about God's plan for our life. Um, let me just flick through here. Because so often we confuse the part with the whole. We confuse his grace with his purpose. So I want you to imagine that you are on a journey. It's a long journey, right? It's a long journey. You're travelling from somewhere to somewhere, very long. And uh, you start out at point A and you're driving along. And then at point B, you take a wrong turn. And you find yourself driving off into the distance and you're not really aware that you're going in the wrong direction. And suddenly you get to a point when you get to point C where you realise, I'm lost. I'm badly, badly lost. I don't know where I am. I don't know how to get back to the main road. I am running out of food and water and I'm in a bit of a mess. Right? But someone comes along and shows you a beautiful road. It's a beautiful road, and that beautiful road takes you back to point D. It takes you back to the main road. And you go on this beautiful road, and you come out of the, the jungle and the forest, and you discover, wow, look, there wasn't that, it was a beautiful road out of that mess. You know, I was in a total mess, but I found my way out, and it's amazing. And so what you do is you stop, and you set up camp. And you say, you know, and, and you, you set up camp at point D here, uh, and you look back and, you, and you, you meet some people and you start telling them, oh, let me tell you about this road. I was lost. It was a mess, but this road was amazing. And I came out of this road and it was wonderful, right? And, and you know, it's great. And you find yourself camping there for a day. And then it turns into a week. And then it's a year. And then maybe 10 years. And you suddenly realise that you've spent this time camping, enjoying where you've, you know, this, this, this beautiful road that got you out of the mess you're in, but that isn't the ultimate destination that you were ever intending to get to. And so often in our lives, if we don't see God's big picture, God's master plan, we get sucked into just thinking about our redemption, our mess, the fact that God has saved me from our mess. And if we want to live at a high level, God wants to help us realise and show us that we were so much more than simply just his redemption. We were so much, but sorry, I'm using the word redemption. Redemption means God saving us and buying us back. We were so much more than that, amen? That the redemption is a step in God's ultimate process to bring us to completion of him. And if all we're doing is we're spending all the time just going over the same old ground, talking about, oh, well, I was a mess and God saved me. You know, I've met people. I'll be honest, I've met, I remember an older lady. <clears throat> and, uh, and I'll be honest, she, she was very good at talking about the cross. But the, and she would talk about what God had done for her, but there wasn't a degree to which she'd moved on in her life. She'd stayed in the same place. And some of you this morning might have reached this point where you are saved. You know that God has saved you. You know that God has done something for you. But God is saying to you this morning, I want to take you into so much more. I want to take you into eternal sonship. And so it's not that we, we, we cannot ever minimise the, the importance and the significance of God's work on the cross redeeming us from our sin. But if all we do is focus on that, we miss God's biggest picture. The point, the place that God wants to bring us to. You see, when we start to see things from this perspective, as I said again, we realise that we are not the centre. God is the centre. 
And that's such an important message that we need to get hold of in these kind of days, is that God is the initiator. God is the Father. God is ultimately purposing everything for him. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to change the way we live our lives. No longer do we live our lives just thinking about ourselves, but we begin to live our lives thinking about his bigger picture. Because as we become like the Son, what is the Son's purpose? to fulfill the will of the Father. And so as the Son's life comes into us, we no longer live for ourselves, we live for Christ. So, we're beginning to see uh, the eternal viewpoint. Um, but I want to uh, share with you one, uh, one last diagram, which I suppose is setting us up for where we're going to go over the next few weeks. Because the eternal Father is not just seeking to create a nation of sons. He's got so much more planned for us, you see. And as we're going to see as we look through Ephesians, what he wants to do is he wants to share his life with us. He wants to share his inheritance with us. And he wants us to rule and reign with him. This is God's ultimate intention. This is God's master plan for our lives. And you see, this is why mission is so important. We talk about sharing the gospel with people. You know, we're not just seeking to get people saved. We're not just seeking to get bums on seats in heaven. What we want to do is we want, if our hearts, as we begin to understand God's massive heart of love for us, we begin to realise that God wants to bring lots and lots of sons into his family. And it changes the way in which we see people because you, you, you start to see that God has just got such this great heart of love and as we own that heart of love, we're able to move into something more of him. So I want to show you... Oh, no, no, I'll come back to that one. I want to show you this. And this is uh, the four phases of God's ultimate plan for our life. You see, we were made in his image. Adam was made in the image of God. But as I've thought about this and I've studied it, right, I don't think Adam was at that point yet complete. I don't think that Adam had been created with the ability to be the son of God. And in many ways, in, in a biological sense, he was the son of God. But he had not yet inherited the full life of God because ultimately he had his own cross to go through, which was the tree of good and evil. But he, didn't, he wasn't able to go through that cross. And it's only as we go through the cross, as we're going to see, and I really, this is what I want to talk about next week, or whenever we talk, about the cross and about sonship and about how these things come together. But Adam, and this is why I was putting up this watchman knee, uh, God is concerned with bringing us into and bringing into us something that Adam never had, something which goes far beyond the recovery of a lost position. Right Now, this, this will make more sense uh, next week when we talk about it. But you see, we, all have the, we are all made to contain the divine life. We are all made with the ability to contain the divine life. That's at creaturehood. But it's only as we come through Jesus that we are able to become sons. We are able to become sons whilst when we allow Jesus to work in our life, when we go through the cross. But that's not the point. And this is so often where people stop. They're just saying, oh, I've become a son of God. That's amazing. But as we're going to look over the next couple of weeks, he doesn't just want to make us a son. He wants to make us an heir. 
right? He wants to make us an heir. Now, if you are a member of the Cross family, uh, Mark and Peter are here, uh, <clears throat> you know, you will inherit, uh, you know, as my children have, they will inherit great, great brains, uh, they will inherit great strength, uh, they will inherit, uh, you know, wisdom, which comes clearly DNA-wise, but they will also inherit a big nose, right? It's just part of what happens, right? When you become a son, you inherit the life of God. The life of God comes into you at this point. But there's something more than just inheriting life. This is what Paul is saying. We are actually heirs. When my parents uh, die, which I guess they will do someday, we don't let think about that, we will inherit their rather modest, modest, fortune, uh, which has got a house. Right? And we might inherit the family heirlooms, right? whatever they are. Right? We will become, we will inherit something more of God. Yeah? And this is what God has got for us, is we're not just called to be sons, we're called to inherit something. But my, Peter, uh, Helen's father, Peter, uh, has got some copies uh, of, like, proper old copies of some uh, Matthew Henry books, right, which anybody knows anything about uh, old books, right, that in Christian terms apparently is a big deal, right, is a big deal, right, and they're like, they are, they're like, they're like about 150 years old, right, and he said to me, right, when I, when I die, you can have them, right? I'll never read them, right? But, um, but you know, they're, they're family heirlooms, you know, they're, they're things that are very precious. But he's not going to give them, is he, to Nathan? Why would you not give the family heirloom to Nathan? Why would you not give Nathan his inheritance before he's too young? Because he wouldn't know what it was. Because he would, well, you've given me some fat old books, what do I want to do with those? Can I use them as goalposts? Right? That would pretty much be what would go through his mind. So not only would he not understand the value of them, he wouldn't understand how to use them, because right? he couldn't read half the words. I can't read half the words in them. Right? Okay. Uh, but equally, he wouldn't be able to look after them. And so on your journey with God, God makes you a son, but then he wants to give you in his inheritance. But it's only as we mature in God, as we grow in God, that we become mature enough to receive some of his inheritance. Okay? It's a journey that God wants to take us on. So not only do we then inherit something, ultimately God wants to bring us to this point, uh, which is really higher level living, all right? where we will ultimately, and we're going to look at this in the, at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, it says, he has raised Christ up and seated him where? Right? And then in chapter 2, he goes on and he says, where are we seated? With Christ, who's in the heavenly places. Ultimately, your, your, your destination, right, Right, Jackie, your destination is to be a princess in, in the king's throne room. You will sit alongside Jesus, reigning with him. Now, you may think to yourself, right, I live in Ravensbury Road, right, okay? I, I don't know anything about anything. But your destination, Mark, is to reign with Christ. You're not just a son. You're not just inheriting his promises. You are going to ultimately reign with him. This is what God has purposed for him, for a purpose for each one of us. And you know, it's so important that we start to get the sense of this bigger picture. Now, I, I, you might have been thinking, Tim, I don't know what you've been chatting about this morning, but I've enjoyed myself, right? Okay, because I am seeing in God something that we need to get hold of if we are to enter higher levels of living. Because it's all in concern, I want to live higher, Lord, I want to live higher. But we spend all our time just focused on my broken little life. When realising that the redemption's been done and we're not realising what God has got for us. God has got so much more for us. 
You may think to yourself, oh, I'm nothing. I keep making mistakes. You're missing the point. From the foundation of the world, God had identified that you would reign with him. You would be seated on the throne. And you, every, if Jesus has everything under his feet, then so do you. Now, we have to inherit these things. It's not something that comes immediately, which is why we're not all walking around, you know, kind of claiming, you know, being amazing. But there are things in God that as we grow in him, and we should be seeking after, going after these things. And if all you're doing is thinking, oh, I've just got to keep getting through. I've got to keep living in this, in this kind of little diag- like, sort of diagonal. I'm just getting out of this mess all the time. Then you're missing the ultimate plan that God has for you. And not only will it release the way that you live your life, it will release new veins of worship in your life. When all you worship God for is what he's done for you, right? that's amazing, isn't it? We love God because of what he's done for us. And we can love God next level. We can love God because how great he is. But when we reach the ultimate point, we realise something much deeper. When we see this big picture, it releases new worship in our hearts. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I'm ever seeking to be able to worship God more fully, to be able to know him in a greater sense. I don't know about you, do you want to know God in a greater sense? Because I do. And, as we, and, and you may have, you know, um, it took me a long time to figure this out, right? Okay. And, and, but I, it's, it's something that's kind of really dawning on me, that God is a father who has children, and he wants his children to inherit so much more than just his salvation. So I want us to stand and I want us to pray. And if your heart this morning is to enter higher level living, then I want you to make a commitment in your heart before God that says, God, I want to understand what it means to to be an heir. I want to understand what it means to reign with you. I want you to show me what these things are. I want to move into the fullness of your mighty plans for my life.